This is an Equity Mates Media podcast. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to Get Started Investing, a production of Equitymates Media. This series is everything you need to get started on your investing journey. You don't need a lot of brains in this business. Investing in yourself is the best thing you can do. Anything that improves your own time. Now you can get rich very young just by having an idea. I mean, I can buy anything I want, basically, but I can't buy time. Welcome to Get Started Investing. In this podcast, we cover all the basics that you need to start your investing journey. Are you joining us for the very first time or is this the very start of your investing journey? Well, before you dive into this episode, our feed is designed to go from the very beginning. So we strongly recommend you scroll up and start at episode one. However, if you're feeling brave and just want to dive in with us, then don't let us stop you. Here at Get Started Investing, we unpack all the jargon and confusing bits, hear your investing stories with the goal of making investing less intimidating and we want to have a good time along the way. My name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going? I'm very good, Bryce. Very excited for the final part of our three-part series with Finder, mm. where we've been unpacking everything personal finance. Yes. I've certainly learned a lot. Oh, we've uncovered a lot about you. I know, I know. <laughs> I've had to go home, uh, look in the mirror, and just yeah. uh, really think about some of my personal uh, finance habits. Uh, yes. So I'm excited to have another soul-searching moment after this episode. Yeah, it's all going to be nicely, I guess, wrapped up for you at the end of this episode, and you can walk away with a few key things in place to sort your money out. (laughs) (laughs) Got the investing sorted, sort your cash flow. So over the three episodes, we've partnered with Finder to talk about all things personal finance and getting your money sorted so that you can start investing, because of course, there is no point trying to start investing if you don't have the basics sorted first. Finder is focused on helping Aussies save and grow their money. They provide the financial tools for you to achieve your goals. Whether it's saving for a holiday, buying your first home or investing for your future, Finder will be by your side and empower you to live a rich life. And to help you get started, Finder has launched the Ultimate Money app. With it, you can see all your accounts in one place, track your net worth, find out your credit score, and you can now buy Bitcoin all in the one app. Check it out, just like Ren has in your app store now. So, as Ren said, this is the final episode, and we're going to look at some of the best practices when it comes to personal finance and how it can help your investing journey. And we have the absolute pleasure of bringing in a Finder expert, Kylie Purcell. Kylie, welcome. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, it, uh, we're looking forward to this episode. If um, if you haven't come across Kylie before, she is the investments editor at Finder. She has a background in business and finance news and has previously worked at SBS, Your Money, Switzer Group and CCTV in Beijing. She specializes in cutting through messy financial jargon so that others don't make the same investing decisions that she did in her misguided youth. <laughs> when she's when she's not writing about markets, you can find her 
binging on long blacks. Right up Ren's alley. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I've changed that profile since. <laughs> wow. I, I like it. I wrote that. <laughs> oh, good. That's a good one. <laughs> it's all pretty true. <laughs> well, I've toned it down a bit. <laughs> well, Kylie, we, uh, we want to start this interview by, I guess, hearing a little bit about your background. So we might get to touch on some of those investing decisions you made in your misguided youth. Um, but let's start, let's start at the very start of your investing journey. Can you tell us the story of your first investment? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, it was, uh, it was a few years ago now. Um, and, you know, I'd been writing about the stock market for a bit and I'd, I'd been using the Comsec app for a bit um, just to help draw data um, for articles and stuff like that. Um, but I, I hadn't bought any shares. Um, and at that stage, I think you needed like 500 bucks to invest at a minimum. Um, you still kind of do for ASX stocks, but there are other options now. So, you know, when you're younger, that seems like a lot to potentially lose. But I did eventually bring, you know, bring myself to um, br- like get the courage to do it. And, you know, I ended up doing exactly what you're not supposed to do. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I went on a stock tip from a YouTuber. Oh, no. It, Love it. <laughs> it was, yeah. It was a, you know, I, I did so much research. And, you know, it, it's so funny because I, I'd, I'd been writing about stocks at that point. <laughs> and I still went online and started looking at YouTube videos. And, and after all my planning and research, I was like, okay, my first stock has to be special. I don't want it to be something boring. I don't want it to be like CBA. I don't want it to be like the stocks that everyone says you're meant to invest, you know, the boomers. So yeah, I went with a, a YouTuber stock. It was a lithium stock, um, and pretty shortly after I bought it, it crashed. Oh no! <laughs> Which Cla- is, I think, a pretty typical story. classic story. Uh, have you subsequently been making your investment decisions based on YouTube, or have you taken a more appropriate approach? <laughs> I'd like to think I learned my lesson well. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I've, I've, I've become a bit more sensible, and I'm not taking tips off TV. <laughs> do, do you? That being said, that's actually been probably my top performing stock now. So, <laughs> oh, so you held it? I held it. I was like, well, it crashed so badly that I thought I'm not going to just, you know, yeah. there's no, there's no point cashing this in. It's next to zero now. Yes. <laughs> Subsequently, it's um, it's boomed with all the lithium stocks doing really well. Well, Alex' first investment crashed so hard that there's now not enough in there to actually afford brokerage. <laughs> no, 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 uh, that that did happen, <laughs> and it sat in my account for a couple of years, and I couldn't afford the brokerage. You're right. <laughs> But uh, oh, thankfully, no. the company cleaned up its share register and bought me out. And oh, I think, nice. think I oh. walked away with all of $6 or something. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, Kylie, do you have an investing philosophy? Yeah, I like to say um, buy low, sell high. Um, <laughs> Classic. No, wait, that's Buffett. Um, no, I don't, I don't really have a philosophy exactly, um, but I would say that it's you know best to take a holistic approach to investing. You know, always keep the big picture in mind. Invest for the long run and incorporate your investment strategy into your overall financial strategy. So, you know, it's about saving as much as investing. It's about planning and goal setting. Um, so it shouldn't be considered a separate a separate part of your life. It's it's a holistic, mm. a holistic view, definitely. Mm. I think that's a key thing that we're taking away in this three-part series that investing shouldn't 
be seen as this separate bucket. It's, you know, yeah. it's part of your overall like money journey and it's, it's just one of many good money habits. Yeah. Um, another critical one is saving obviously. And in many yeah. ways getting your savings habits right is a precursor to supercharging your investing. But a lot of people in the equity mates community are in that position where they're, you know, they're, they're saving for an emergency fund. They might be saving for a house, mm. but they're also, you know, hearing Bryce's dulcet tones and slowly being convinced <laughs> that they want to start investing. Um, ha- when, when thinking about that choice between investing and saving, um, what are some of the factors that y- you would consider? Really, these two things should be working together for you. Like, you shouldn't be either saving or investing separately. Um, you should be doing both. The first thing you should think about is, do I have enough savings. Do I have enough cash in my savings account? Um, Hopefully it's a high interest savings account to tie you over for a few months without work if something were to happen. And then when you're trying to decide how much you should allocate to investing, the important factors are really timing. You know, when will I need to access the cash that I'm saving or investing? How long can I keep that money locked away for? And what happens if I need to access it sooner? And then you need to think about your goals. What are you saving for? When do you need that money? You know, do you need that money for a deposit in a year or less? Then probably the best place for that money is in your savings account um, because you don't want to invest your money into the stock market and then watch that money go down or lose the value of, of your portfolio over maybe 12 months and then you'll need to withdraw it for a deposit. And and how risky is the investment? versus savings. Yeah, those are kind of the, the main factors to think about really if you're trying to decide what should I do with my cash basically. I actually think of savings as a, as a type of investment anyway. It's just a very, very low risk savings. Um, that's if you've got it in a high interest savings account. Well, good segue because Finder do a good job at uh, at least helping people find high interest savings accounts. But <laughs> I actually went to open a open one for the the business the other day and uh, for the business savings account they offered a, a rate of uh a rosy rate of 0.01%. <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> so for those for those that have just joined the um the get started investing community and um are hearing a lot about, you know, interest rates and and inflation and looking for a high interest rate and and comparing that to what you can get in this in the stock market mm. um why does an interest rate matter for savings and, and what's the implications of everything being so low at the moment yeah it matters now because you can't just stick your money into a savings account and expect that you're getting any kind of return or that it's working for you with the cash rate the official cash rate being at Uh, you know, 0.1% at a record low, but also means that savings accounts rates are really low. So, you know, it's it's not like the good old days of the past when you used to be able to put your money into a savings account and you'd you'd expect to get a 6% return or so, um, or or maybe a term deposit. Um, That's no longer the case at all. Um, So you really need to do your homework and and, and find find a savings account that will work for you that is at least beating the rate of inflation. You know, if your savings account isn't beating the rate of inflation, that means it's actually going backwards. Mm. So your cash actually becomes less valuable over time. So that's definitely not an investment. That's, you know, slightly better than sticking cash under your bed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, we talk about find a high interest savings account. Does Finder have a, like a threshold where they say this is high interest? Like is, 
is like is like two and a half percent now considered high interest, or is there a number where you're like that's high interest? It's just as high as possible. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's a really good question. Um, my colleague Alison, who looks after savings accounts, would be able to help you out on that one a little more than me. High interest would definitely be two point two percent now. You'd be happy if you were getting over one percent now from your savings account. It's just um, un- it's unbelievable. But the inflation rate's higher than that, right? Inflation's around one point one, I think, at the moment. So if, if you manage to get even that, <laughs> then then you're doing pretty well. But the idea is definitely to um, is to get above that inflation rate if possible. Um, so definitely, I mean, it's about doing your homework and comparing and, and find it does have comparison tables that you can use to find those high interest savings numbers. So definitely check those out. That's one way to do it. Well, Kylie, one of the things that I have decided to do in uh, after recording this three-part series and doing research for this three-part series is to separate out my savings and transaction accounts. I currently have them with the same bank, making it too easy to transfer between the two. So mm. I will be checking out uh, Finder's comparison tool and finding finding a good, hopefully high interest savings account outside my existing bank. Yeah, that's a great idea to have them to have those two separate and just to always have cash going from your transaction account or straight from your um, employee, actually, straight into your savings account so that you don't touch it. And yeah, it doesn't have to be the same account that you'd use to transact. Yeah, yeah. Now, one one question we also get a lot here at Equity Mates is when, like, when's a good time to start investing, or how do I know when I'm ready to start investing? Obviously, everyone's personal financial journey is different, but um, do you think there's some sort of like general rules of thumb uh, where people know they're ready to stop just saving and start investing? I like to say that the best time to start investing is always just now. Um, <laughs> Because that's because time is really the most important factor when it comes to investing. Obviously, you have to take your life circumstances into account. Um, you know, have you paid off high interest uh, debt, um, high interest debt, like, for example, credit card debt. If you're paying, you know, 20% interest on your credit card, uh, it's unlikely you're going to beat that by investing it. So just pay that off first. Um, you obviously have to be over 18 um, to start investing unless you've got your parents helping you out with a, a minor account. But, you know, these days you can invest really small amounts. You don't need to save up a huge amount to start investing. You can invest in micro-investment apps like Raise or Spaceship. And that's kind of a good way just to, to get you started and to help you get the feel of, of the stock market. So I really do think you can, you can start investing Start investing now. <laughs> we spoke um, in the last episode briefly about um, emergency funds while we're still on, on the cash saving side of things. Um, with all of the, the research and reporting that you've done on the investing side and, and obviously um, with the colleagues you've got there speaking about uh, interest rates and cash accounts as well, um, what's your opinion on, I guess, the need for an emergency fund and rule of thumb for how much you actually need in there? And then how should we be thinking about it with rates so low? Like I look at my emergency fund and it burns me to see <laughs> it's sitting there in cash. <laughs> um, how can we maximize that? So an emergency fund is necessary. Everyone should have an emergency fund. Um, an emergency fund is, is cash that you can access very quickly in the case of emergency. For example, you've lost your job or there's a family medical emergency, your house burns down. Um, and I, ideally, you'd want to have 
the kind of general rule of thumb, at least, is to have at least three months, but ideally six months, in that um, savings slash emergency fund. Um, any other savings goals that you have outside of that should sit separately to your emergency fund. So, you know, if you're saving up for a holiday, that's that's not something that's included in the <laughs> in the emergency fund. That's totally separate. But it does come down to your circumstances as well. So, you know, if you're quite young and you're living at home and, and you've got a lot of support from your family, maybe three months sitting in your emergency fund is fine. Um, I'm in my 30s, so I like to have at least six months. That's just um, a personal preference. Um, so it does come down to your circumstances, definitely. Um, what uh, an emergency fund is not is, for example, a stock market uh, crash or a stock market opportunity nice. where you'd want to move your money um, into the stock market to, to take advantage of the situation. Um, it should absolutely just be a, a life emergency if you if you really need it. How do how do you then? How can we maximize it? I know we've spoken about I know we've spoken about high interest accounts, but to me, that's really the only way. If we're talking about like risk free, yeah. But how do you view it? Yeah, absolutely. An emergency fund. You, you should have your money sitting in a in a totally risk risk free account. So that would be a high interest savings account or a term deposit, although term deposit rates are, are crazy low at the moment. So probably a high interest account is the best place for it. You don't want your money exposed to any risk. So really the the best way to maximize your emergency fund is to compare your high interest savings account options. And like we spoke before as well, um, the idea is to beat the rate of inflation. You don't want that money going backwards either. And you certainly don't want it invested into any kind of high-risk account um, or into the stock market because uh, if you need to cash that money in um, for an emergency you know, and the stock market crashes, you might find that you don't have enough money to cover what you need it to cover. Now, I must confess that when I was younger, I did have a growing emergency fund that may have uh, been tapped into to uh, cash into the stock market when it dipped a little bit. Uh, but I I promise you, Kylie, I, I won't do that again. Um, but I guess it does beg the question, you know, we talk about an emergency fund. Uh, Scott Pape in The Barefoot Investor talks about having an emergency fund in the context of his house burning down, clearly an emergency. But I guess for a lot of people, they may be wondering, you know, what, what does constitute an emergency? Like when... Um, when can I access it? And I guess for a lot of Australians, especially young Australians, is the opportunity to buy a house an emergency? The opportunity to buy a house? No, I wouldn't consider that an emergency. Um, that's definitely an opportunity similar to um, investing your money into the stock market. Um, and that should that should be seen as a separate investment goal. Uh, not an investment, I'm confusing. That should be seen as a separate savings goal. So if you're saving for a deposit um, and you want to buy a house, that's one of your one of your money goals. It's certainly not an emergency. An emergency fund should be separate to that. An emergency would be if you bought the house and it burns down like Scott Pope said. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of um, setting goals, we are going to jump into the investment side of things and chatting about goals and, and risk tolerance and then also asset allocation. But before we do, we'll just take a quick break. 
So, Kylie, um, let's move to goals, planning, and and actually matching investments to both of those. So, um, we often talk about investing goals, but it can be a bit of a confusing topic, I guess, for people who've just started their journey because often when you say, what's your investing goal, everyone just says, well, obviously, it's just to make money, right, and be rich. So, uh, no doubt that is everyone's goal. But how do you think about setting investing goals? Yeah, so your investment goals should really be helping you to achieve your life goals. And they should be aligned with your other financial goals, such as saving for a house deposit or even saving for a holiday. So some of the questions you could ask yourself are, uh, what do you plan to be doing in the next 5, 10 or 30 years? And I know that's a really hard question to answer when you're when you're young and you don't know what you want to be doing in 10 years' time. Um, but those goals can change as well. They're not, they're not fixed. Um, it's just a good idea to have a general idea. And then, of course, what age do you want to retire? Um, so your investment goals would really be helping you to achieve those things. And really, I'd say the key is to work backwards here. So, for example, if your plan was to retire by 50, to make that happen, you know, you'd need approximately how much money and you'd need to earn X amount over the next 20 to 30 years. You can work that out. You need to save X amount over that time. And to boost those funds, you would need your funds to earn X percent. So your investment goals would be helping you to achieve those those long-term goals that you have in mind, as well as your savings goals. So Kylie, I think if uh, the general goal is to get rich, the specific goal for a lot of young Australians is to own a home. Um, mm. If that was, I was about to say if that was Bryson, my goal, but let's be honest, it is Bryson, my goal at some point. So how would, mm. how would you match uh, your savings and investments with that goal? Yeah, absolutely. Everyone wants to own a home. So if, you're, if your goal is to own a home, you'd need to incorporate that as part of your overall investment strategy and your goal setting. Like, for example, say you want to buy a property in the next two years. Um, say in mind, you'd need to ensure that you're not investing too much of your money into riskier investments. Like you wouldn't want to have the money that you're trying to save for your deposit sitting in the stock market. Um, you wouldn't want to even have it invested in an ETF necessarily. You'd want that uh, to be growing in your cash account into your savings account. So that's definitely something to consider. And then outside of the deposit that you're trying to save for your house, you could put money into the stock market after you've paid off your bills and your debt, of course. So, so Kylie, if I've bought the house uh, and prior to that, my focus was obviously cash in, into the account and then invest if I have anything left over. I then want to turn my attention to, say, retirement or maybe it's fire, you know, that independence, retire early. How yeah. would I think about like my investments from if that is my goal? If fire is your goal and uh, you've already bought a house, well, you're, you're doing pretty well. <laughs> True. <laughs> yeah, very well. <laughs> the fire goal is, uh, as, as some people will know, it's, it's to retire by your 30s or 40s. I actually like the fire goal. I, I think it's a, it's a really good way to start setting some goals, even if you're not as aggressive as that. But I like the fact that it uses the 4% rule where it assumes that you can withdraw 4% of your retirement portfolio each year to live a pretty comfortable life. I think that's a great way to look at it. Yeah, well, it basically assumes that you've invested into like a relatively safe investment portfolio and would be returning an average of, say, 7%. That's like a stock market average. Then if you subtract as well, you also have to remember remember inflation. If you're subtracting 3% for inflation, that gets you to 4%. So if you're planning to retire, say, by your 30s or 40s, 
you need to think about how much money you need to have drawn by that time. The one, the one thing that I find interesting about fire is setting a goal of retiring in your thirties or forties. And then, you Mm. know, it's like, okay, I'm going to live off 4%, but how do you like, is that setting the goal that you're going to have kids and your wife's on the journey or your partner's on the journey with you? And, uh, I'm going to be paying off a mortgage as well. Like it's, uh, it's a massive goal to try and set, I guess, but I I agree with you, Kylie, that the principles Mm. of it and setting that as a goal is what, I think I like about the fire movement. I'm not dissing on the fire movement here. <laughs> you, you, yeah, you, definitely. you hate the fire movement. <laughs> I don't hate it. You, you say like, I don't want to live off rice and beans in my twenties and thirties. That's your, that's your common refrain. I would never, um, I would never approach it as aggressively as other people in the community, but Hey, each to their own. Oh, I can, I completely agree. Yeah. But <laughs> I, I think the principle is the most important part, which is setting that goal to build wealth over the long term, so that you can eventually, yeah. whatever t- time that comes, be financially independent. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. We, we had a chat to uh, someone in the UK, Andy Hart, a little while ago, and apparently mm. fire is just so much bigger over there than it is here. And like he made the point that if you if you believe in fire or you want to live a luxurious twenties like Bryce has, r- <laughs> regardless, true. like the the lessons inherent in the movement around like really understanding your money and being very deliberate about your money decisions are broadly mm. applicable. Yeah, but it is. I mean, it's it's very aggressive, and I agree. I, I'm not keen to live um, quite so minimally as, as required by the fire movement. But I actually, we worked out an example just recently for a video I did um, of how much you'd need and how much you'd need to save. So like, for example, if you're 20 years old now, say, and you want to retire at 30, it's like the dream. And then you think about your minimal retirement living costs would be, say, 40K per year. And that's that's not living luxuriously. You know, you're not living the high life as a retiree at that point. You'd need to have saved about a million dollars by then at 4% of 1 million, 40K. Um, and you need to have saved 75,000 per year for 10 years, um, compounded annually at 7%, that would get you $1 million. So even if you earned 100K a year at that time, as a 20-year-old, which you'd be doing pretty damn well, <laughs> that would still just leave you $25,000 to live off in the lead up. Um, well, yeah, and that's 100K after, after tax, tax yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So and it's he- a massive challenge, but it's, that being said, I agree. It's the principle of it. Um, so if you think of it in that way, you might think, no, that's not possible for me. What is possible for me from that point? Yeah. Even 40 grand a year when you're 30, I mean, you're probably paying 300 bucks a week in rent in Sydney. So exactly, like, that's 15 grand doesn't leave you a whole lot. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, I, I honestly, I think it assumes that you, you need to be sitting with your parents I don't think you could do it and and be affording Sydney rent yeah so mm. Bryce and I have grown up as investors in pretty much straight bull markets um, love to see it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think you know for us and for a lot of people in our uh, generation um, it's probably like risk management and uh, understanding your personal risk tolerance is probably under-discussed. Um, mm. So what what should we know about risk? How should we think about risk? And how should we factor it into our investing decisions? It's a really important part of investing and saving. You could generally split it into three kind of main categories when you think about risk, um, and that is conservative, moderate, 
or aggressive. Um, those are risk profiles and they're used by super funds um, to decide what type of um, super fund you should be investing into. So to understand what your risk profile is, you sort of need to think about, you know, how old are you? How long before you plan to retire? How long can you keep your money invested for? And can you lose the money? So when you're in your 20s or 30s um, or even 40s, you'd be thinking about your investment choices as being uh, growth or or aggressive uh, types of assets. And that would be like stock market assets. And then if you're nearing retirement, maybe you're um, in your 60s or maybe you just plan to retire uh, pretty soon, then you'd be thinking about investing into more conservative or defensive assets. So those kind of assets, for example, uh, loosely conservative would be like bonds and then and cash as well. And then aggressive assets would be more like stock markets, assets like stocks or uh, even an ETF. Um, and the reason they're sort of divided into conservative versus growth and, and why it's so important to understand your risk profile is because if you're investing into the stock market, either into individual stocks, which is quite high risk, or into an ETF, which is still relatively um, considered high risk, or it's, it's aggressive at least, then you'd need to know that your money is invested for at least a few years, uh, if not 10 years or more. Um, and that's because the stock market goes up and down all the time, but generally it trends upwards. So, you know, if you'd invested into a stock market ETF um, just prior to the GFC, you would have seen the value of your portfolio go down. That would have been terrible for somebody who was planning to retire in the next year or so or the next even few years. But uh, if you were able to keep your money invested for 10 years or more, then you would have seen your, the value of your portfolio uh, rise over time. So even even though the losses, uh, even though you see volatility year on year basically, then over the long run, you'd expect it's, it's a lower risk um, chance of losing your uh, the wealth that's in your portfolio. Yeah. Yeah. So it's about volatility, definitely. So we've spoken about goals and also understanding your risk profile. So I guess it is now time to actually start building out a portfolio. Um, everyone would have heard asset allocation or diversification, but are there any general lessons or rule of thumb um, from your point of view, Kylie, that we should consider when making asset allocation decisions? Yeah, definitely. Um, when deciding what type of assets to invest into, um, like I said before, it's, it, it comes down to your risk profile. So, for example, for equities, definitely about risk management, equities being stocks um, and even ETFs. You know, if you're investing in individual stocks, only invest what you can afford to lose. You know, when I invested in that terrible lithium stock based on the tip from the YouTuber, um, <laughs> I knew, <laughs> I at least knew that I could afford to lose that money. Um, if you're investing in a, a diversified portfolio, say 20 stocks or more, or an ETF, then don't expect that you'll need to cash it in for another 10 years. So don't put your house deposit into an ETF. Um, if you plan on cashing that in within the next couple of years, which also shows that, you know, you should consider diversifying um, with higher and lower risk stocks um, or dividend payers and growth stocks so that you get the, the best of both worlds because there are higher risk and lower risk types of stocks and assets in the stock market. 
when it comes to uh, property, I'd say, for example, I don't know if we're considering that as an asset. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'd say don't overextend yourself. Um, always have a plan should the worst occur. For example, if your job disappears, if interest rates go up, or if there's a medical emergency, will you be able to continue to pay your mortgage? Um, because, you know, it is, it's a leveraged asset. Unless you can afford to pay the entire amount out, which I've not met, or I don't know anyone that's been able to do that, you have to get a loan. You're obliged to continue paying that no matter what happens in your life. So it can be, you know, quite risky. Um, the bank might uh, lend you more than what you can actually afford to pay off. So you really need to do your homework. And then there are other assets as well. For example, I, I've got cryptocurrency is just going crazy at the moment. It's everyone's favorite asset, I think. <laughs> yeah, well, let, let's uh, let's touch on crypto for a moment because uh, the the Finder app, amongst a lot of personal finance, I guess features, checking your credit score, stuff like that, also allows you to buy crypto. So, I guess mm. uh, what I guess why the decision to include crypto on the platform, and how do you think about including crypto as part of a uh, portfolio. Yeah, look, it's it's no secret that crypto has been uh, pretty volatile in the past year. And in fact, since um, inception, well, Bitcoin anyway. Um, so if you are going to invest in uh, cryptocurrencies, definitely have a plan, um, do your research and understand that it can swing wildly in either direction. Um, you know, there are many people that are betting um, long on Bitcoin, but uh just as just as many other people will tell you that it's going to crash, um, so it, it is considered one of the riskier types of investments. Um, but that being said, it has performed phenomenally. <laughs> uh, not all cryptocurrencies, sorry. I'm, I'm speaking broadly about uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum as well. Um, other cryptocurrencies, there's so many uh, digital assets at the moment, and you really need to be really careful. Um, it's it's similar to stocks. I think that's a really good way to think of it. You know, you've got really high risk speculative penny stocks, and then you've got your blue chip type stocks. So I guess in the cryptocurrency world, you'd think of uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum as your kind of blue chips. And you know, a lot of people are bullish about the the future of these two cryptocurrencies and and other cryptocurrencies too. So look, I just say do your research um, and understand understand the risks and you know you can start by investing a small amount similar with you know micro investment apps for example on yeah on the finder app we do allow you to buy or sell uh, bitcoin or ethereum um, and you can start with as little as 25 dollars. so if you want to sort of start to get a feel for how these cryptocurrencies work or if you just want to add a little bit to your portfolio i've added a bit to mine not a lot. <laughs> um, so I definitely, you know, you don't put your life savings into it. Certainly not. So don't touch, don't touch your emergency fund to jump <laughs> yeah. on a, a cryptocurrency opportunity. Buy the dip with the um, emergency fund. Well, I was very bullish on at the start of the year, made the bold prediction that Bitcoin would hit 93,000 US by the end of the year. Subsequently, it's fallen to what I think about 30 something. Wait, no, it was in the, it was in the high twenties yesterday. The high twenties. It's there back you in go. the thirties now. Yeah. There you go. So, uh, wow. look, a long way for it to go to hit the 93, <laughs> but, uh, anyway. Look, that's, any not an, that's not an emergency opportunity. So, Kylie, to close out the conversation, um, a lot of the time, 
superannuation is overlooked by a lot of people when it comes to thinking about your total, uh, I guess, investing goals and like it's just sort of pushed to the side and, and people don't consider it as actually an investment. So um, how do you think about superannuation? And I guess more specifically the questions we get around, um, how do you think about adding more to superannuation versus investing outside of super? Yeah, it's funny. Some people don't realize that they actually are already investing and they're already invested in exactly. the stock market. Yeah. Um, that's through super. Super is an investment, definitely. Um, and, and everyone should be considering um, adding extra to their super account. Salary sacrificing is, is something everyone should consider doing. Um, I salary sacrifice, for example. The reason being that you get the tax benefits um, you're only taxed at 15% and you can salary sacrifice up to 25k per year. So that salary sacrificing is where it comes directly from your employer uh, into your super account. And so you're not taxed at the rate that you normally would be unless you're earning a small amount um, and you're not getting taxed more than 15% anyway. Um, it's a really great idea. The other pro is that you're investing in a portfolio that's managed by professionals. Obviously, you have to choose the right super fund. There are super funds that perform very, very well and there are uh, super funds that might charge higher fees and not perform as well as we saw during the Royal Commission. And it also means that you're not you're not obviously able to touch your super. Um, so it takes the anxiety out of investing. Really, if you think of super, it, it's an investment portfolio that's being managed by professionals. That being said, the downside is that you can't touch it. Um, the downside is that you can't access it if you need it. So you can't think of it as an emergency fund. You can't tap into it if you want to jump on an opportunity or you want to uh, put down a deposit for a home. That being said, there is the first home super saver scheme. So um, that's a good idea too, if you're planning on doing that. So there are pros and cons definitely to just investing more into your super fund um, versus uh, investing out. Um, my partner, he's a firm believer that you, everyone should just be investing into their super fund. I'm a bit more bullish on um, investing outside. Um, I do both personally. So I invest into um, individual stocks. I salary sacrifice to the max. I invest into individual stocks, um, which are higher risk. And then I invest a larger chunk into a safer uh, ETF. Yeah, I guess it's uh, each to their own when it comes to, to everything that we've spoken about, but there's no, no doubt that there are plenty of ways to maximize, um, I guess, your, your investment opportunity and superannuation is certainly one of those, those ways to do so. Definitely. Definitely consider it as one type of investment option for sure. Well, yeah. I think the first thing is recognize that it is an investment and you can do something about it. And, uh, you know, even if you're not invested in the stock market outside of that, it's important to remember that you are invested in the stock market through superannuation. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So Kylie, that, um, that brings us to the end of today's episode and also the end of the series with Finder. Just to kind of recap what we've spoken about over the last three episodes, we, we spoke with Graham Cook about sorting out your debt and all things personal finance when it came to the broader picture here in Australia. 
Uh, we then had a conversation around getting your money right, making sure that you're sorting your cash flow, um, making sure that you're having a look at maximizing your income, reducing your expenditures and uh, getting ahead that way. And also tracking um, what you are doing in, in terms of building wealth and, and tracking expenses. And then we've just closed out with um, a discussion around maximizing your investment once you or in your investment opportunities once you have sorted all of your money. So it's been a great three episodes. Ren has certainly uncovered a lot about himself. I have. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Kylie, if we were just to finish with one question for you, and uh, we did the same for Graham, what would be your number one personal finance tip? Honestly, I've I've already said it in the episode. I'd say the time to invest is as soon as possible. You know, time is really the most important thing when it comes to investing. We did an, an article recently looking at what you could do with your 1080 tax cut and what these options would lead to. Um, so over 20 years, if you'd invested into the stock market, 1080 each year, we worked out that you'd have, you know, 70, I think it was $76,000. That was um, 55K interest earned just by investing into the stock market, taking a stock market average. Um, and that's 21k saved. If you kept it in a high interest savings account, you know you'd have 23,000 saved in total. Jeez. So these small amounts um, that you can invest each year, even if it's just a small amount, that's 90 dollars a month turned into you know 76,000 uh, dollars, really does add up. But it is about the time. It is about how how long you've got your money invested for. Well, great way to close out. I think for many people in the Get Started Investing community, um, they may not have taken the first step, but if if anything, I hope that encourages them to just get started and get stuck in let compounding do its work. Well, if you feel like that you want to take more control of your money and actually know where it is all going, it might be worth checking out Finder's app. You can sign up with finder.com.au slash equitymates. It is the ultimate money app. Now featuring Bitcoin trading as well. You can effortlessly manage your money in the palm of your hand, see all of your accounts in one place, buy Bitcoin and track your credit scores all in one app. So check it out in the app store now. But as I said, that does bring us to the end of today's episode and to the end of today, uh, the three-part series on sorting your money with Finder. So Kylie, thank you very much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting as always. And uh, we would encourage anyone listening to get on that, uh, that train of sorting money and then start investing. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Thanks, Kylie. Get Started Investing is a product of Equity Bates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Get Started Investing are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find the ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media and the hosts of Get Started Investing acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.